0: Once upon a time, there was a considerably large town that had everything going for it. They had, there was good jobs in that town. There was a, a good school system. They, they had parks and recreation, restaurants, all kinds of activities. People, for the most part, enjoyed living there. But there was one glaring um, absence in, in that town, and that was a hospital. They had to go to the hospital several towns away and it took a long time to get there and they wanted to be able to have something right there in their community. So the town leaders got together, and everyone agreed, and they found the funding, and then they uh, decided, we're not going to just have a hospital, we're going to have the best hospital. We're going to have all the latest technology, the best doctors and nurses and staff, and this is going to be you know, state-of-the-art healthcare care if there ever was one anywhere. And indeed, they built such a hospital, and there it was. It was grand opening day. And then, within the first few days and weeks, there was a few people that came, walking to the door for various emergencies or conditions and that happened but they weren't getting anywhere near the number of people and patients they anticipated based on the size of their community what's what's going on why aren't people coming to our hospital so they decided to hire a firm to study why people aren't coming to this new hospital in this town and the study team came back very quickly and said well We can spend a lot more time and you can spend a lot more money on figuring out why your hospital isn't being filled, you know, why you're not getting more patients based on the size of your community. But it was pretty obvious to us you forgot something when you built this whole new hospital. You forgot ambulance service. And they all went, Oh, that's it. (laughs) We should have had ambulances because the sick. And the injured can't always get here, so that means we need to be ready to go get them. That's a metaphor for the church. The church we think of as most typically, or at least initially, as a building. And I think in most of our minds we would think of it that way, but we also know at its heart the church is not a building. The church is us. A church is, is people who believe in Jesus Christ. Gathered together to, to carry out ministries like Kids Camp and to worship together and women's ministries and men's ministries and youth ministry and whatever else churches do and whatever we're able to do here, give food out to our community, that's church. But if we do nothing but wait for people to come to this humble little edifice here on the top of this mountain and are never ready to meet people where they were at in the circumstance they are in, then we're not going to fill this building. And more importantly, we're not going to fill the kingdom of God more. And that's what matters. If these chairs are filled or not, that's not the point. The point is, like a hospital without an ambulance service to bring the people is the church who kind of sits there and waits. Well, them people ought to come to us. They know the church is here. What's the matter with them? Those dirty, rotten sinners out there? Worse than that, well, I don't want to get out there among those dirty, rotten sinners. I don't know. They gotta, if they clean up first, maybe they can come. Then I'll invite them. But boy, look at them! You've seen their lives. See how noisy they are, and how obnoxious they are, and whatever other trait you want to add to that list. Well, when the church began and Acts two happened, Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit came. The 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 sound of wind, what looked like tongues of fire, upon the apostles, a crowd formed in in the streets of Jerusalem. Peter settled the crowd down and spoke and told them what it meant, what's going on, what's happening. And the church started that day with more than 3,000 people. And as the church took root then, it continued to grow and they started to fellowship and learn together and eat together and you know break bread together with with the remember the the broken body and shed blood of Jesus together and which is why they were able to be together because God provided that through his son dead and risen again but you know what they went out and Peter knew that they had to go out now, what we're going to look at today is a, I, I chose this picture that one of the kids seemed to like. I like it too. Um, I chose this picture because it, it kind of gives a, the sense of a journey. And, you know, your journey with Christ begins somewhere, right? Or began somewhere. But it's, it's a continual journey, isn't it? And, and it's like we're, we're going on a walk together. We're walking, walking toward the light and, and that's where I like this picture because it is, it is that, that singular, that, that, that one person, that, 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 one, that one soul that is walking toward God. And, and, and you and I, as we do that, that's me, that's you. And yet, as we go, we go with others. So that's where there kind of should be a whole crowd around that guy, okay? And maybe along the path, there's going to be people sitting around waiting or sitting around looking bored or sitting around looking tired or angry or whatever else it might be Are we inviting them along on the journey? So what we see here in the story we're going to look at in Acts chapter 3 is a a demonstration of your journey with Christ and what it begins with and how as we go, we invite others in. And that's what Peter did in a very miraculous way. So it begins here in verse number 1 where it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, that just sort of sets the, sets the context for the verse, the setting. But you know what? It's, it says something very important. It says that they're going to the temple. Now, they are among the very first, literally, believers in Jesus. And we know now, looking back, that the temple is now them. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit in us, the the, the collective temple in the body of Christ of all believers. That's the true eternal everlasting temple. So why are they going to the building the temple? Well, because that's what they've always known, and that in itself wasn't wrong, and they, they didn't even have the language yet. Remember, this is very early in the church. They weren't even writing stuff down yet. Now, they were teaching one another the stories about Jesus that we looked at last week, and they, and they learned, the Spirit led them. But right now, they were still carrying out what they were used to. And as Jewish men, they would go to pray. And that in itself is nothing wrong with that. In fact, God used that. So I used that first word there, first two words, religious routine. Even though it was just a routine that they prayed before, they were were following a routine, I should say, of what they grew up with, what the expectation of most Jews was, they were doing so wholeheartedly. And as they did that, God did something. So no matter where you begin, Christ will meet you there. Now, I I said all of that to say, you've probably heard in, in today's multicultural, multi-religious landscape, okay? There, there's many people believe many different things, many different religious practices, religions, gods, all of that. And you probably know people in various categories. What we need to do is find a connecting point with each of them. Now, in saying this, I'm not implying that all religions lead to God. Every path is the same. It's all okay, okay? That's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is just about any religion will have some place of agreement at a very basic level with where we're at. For example, when the Apostle Paul went into Athens, we'll look at that later down, later down the line in the book of Acts, there was idols and statues all over the place, and one of them was a, a, a statue to the unknown God. Now, Paul could have said, well, what are you guys doing with all these idols and statues? Don't you know they're just stone? They're nothing? What do you have those in your town for? What's the matter with you? Knock them over, break them down. Nope. He said, that one of the unknown God, I know who it is. Let me tell you about him. So he took a connecting point with those people and used it to present the gospel. If you have a Muslim friend in your life, there's actually several connecting points. Now, you're not going to agree with all that the Muslims believe, nor do I, and they're not going to agree with all that the Christians do, and, and that's we understand that, at least not initially, but what you want to do is get to the heart. So you say, okay, what, what do we both agree on? Well, we both agree there's only one God. Okay, you call it Allah, all right, that's fine, but basically one God. Oh, that's a point of agreement. Well, what else do we agree on? Well, um, it all goes back to Abraham. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We, we believe that that Abraham was called by God, and, and he was the first one. And, you know, and, and so you find these connecting points, which then can, can lead to a conversation about your faith. And you listen to them, even though you're not agreeing with it, but you're opening the door. So Peter is practicing what he always did. He went to, to the temple to pray. He's praying again, and he meets someone along the way there. And so, so what happens next in verse 2? <clears throat> Now a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When Peter saw, when he saw Peter and John enter, about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Your journey with Christ also begins with reflection. In other words, my journey, as, as I am walking on my journey with Christ, something in me is going to shine. Something in me is going is to reveal Christ in some way. Now, in this story, the revelation, the revealing, the, the, the reflection of Christ was the same power to heal a, a cripple that Jesus did several times. Read about in the Gospels. So, Peter, by the power of Christ, by the power of the Spirit in him, also healed someone. And so, in in reflection, we share with others what God has given to us, so they see Jesus in you. He was looking for gold, coins, silver, anything. Help me out here, buddy. I'm down on my luck. Come on. He said, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. That's the, the power here of of Christ shining in us, and we can. This this is obviously a, a miracle of which Jesus did many, and miracles are wonderful. I don't know how many miracles you have personally experienced in your life, in yourself, or in someone you love, and you were you were there when it happened, or you heard about it, and you believe it's a miracle. And we can share those stories one day. But I think we we sell God short when the only thing we call a miracle is this kind of thing, like, okay, he couldn't walk five minutes ago, now he's dancing. Okay, wow, that's a real miracle. No, God does miraculous things all the time. We just don't give him credit. Amen. I was uh, at Twin Pines Camp several years ago, and I, I, I love that place, and there's mountains there. If you've ever been there, a trail in a mountain, and uh, I, I was walking, praying by myself, and I was having a particular hard time. I, I don't remember the exact details of it, but I I, I, I just, I, w- I was basically asking God, am I on the right path? I don't, I'm a pastor. I don't want to mislead people. And and I, I, I didn't say it in so many words, but in essence, I was kind of asking God, would you give me a sign? Give me something to know, to affirm that I'm okay right here, okay? And I said that, and as I'm, walking and praying that in, in various ways. Um, I, see, I see above me, I saw a hawk come down really high. I, hawks are beautiful birds. I love to watch them. And, and so I'm just kind of enjoying that. And then I, I walk further up the mountain and above the camp there is this gazebo on the mountain, which you can see from the pond. It's on, on this hillside. It's a really beautiful spot to sit and overlook, overlook the camp and down into the valley. And so I went to that gazebo and I sat down And the second I sat down, there was a hawk in the tree about 20 feet from me. And he flew away. There was my sign. Paul, you're okay. Paul, I affirm what you asked. So go ahead. Don't be afraid. Because I am with you. And I, I firmly believe that was a miracle in my life because I really needed that affirmation from the Lord. And he gave me a hawk. I'd never seen a hawk that close before, at least not you know, kind of hidden in the, in the bushes like that or in, in the tree. And it released the moment I sat down at that particular location. God gives us miracles in our life so that we can reflect Jesus Christ. Peter didn't take credit for this healing. He said, this is not me. I didn't do this. It is from the power given to me by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in me. So then there is a reaction to it. Your journey with Christ also begins with reaction in yourself, reaction in others. Verse 9 When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That was their reaction. The way to, again, that, that, that miraculous, the, 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 the wonder, as I shared with the children, the the simple things we we take for granted every day that are all around us here in these beautiful mountains that we can pause and look at and take in um, as as I, I think it was Tina shared. I think we all feel this there's so much there 's so much anger in our world um, pe- People are driving angry right now I mean I mean not everybody, but there's more of them it, 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 and and I get quickly frustrated by that and try not to do it myself <laughs> in response to them but one of the things that is, is helpful to me is to, is to breathe the simple things that, that God wants us to do and to be breathe like get alone somewhere sit down pause and breathe and let go and take in what's around you. Take in the sun in your face or the rain on your head. Take in the warmth of the air or maybe the snow that's fallen if it's winter. Take in what God has made and continues to produce around you and let Him speak. I believe that sometimes when we, when we breathe well, it's not just, you know... The oxygen and the carbon dioxide and the air that we're, you know, taking in and out of our bodies that we need to function physically. I think we can also breathe out things that we don't need. Like sometimes I'll even say, Okay, Lord, that attitude that I have, I release it to you. And that helps. I'm not saying it changes it forever. I'm saying in that moment, I can become refocused, um, grounded better about what I need to be and who I need to be because I took that simple step to breathe. That's wonder. God is wonderful. The world is filled with wonder. And it's not just a miracle like a guy who couldn't walk now can walk. That's awesome. Praise God. But God does praiseworthy things around you every day, every minute, if you just look for them and thank Him when you see Him. And it may not be something you're going to tell all your friends about, and that's okay. It's, it, I think it's good if you did. But just simply be thankful for what God has given you. React in wonder to what He's doing. And then also, your journey with Christ begins with responsibility. And now as as Peter is sharing the message now, he he didn't come to the temple that day to preach. He came to pray. But because this miracle happened, because this guy asked for help and he gave him, instead of giving him money, he gave him the ability to walk, run, and dance, now he is, a crowd is there, and a crowd is drawn around him. Let's look at um, verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. So he takes that moment When the crowd is there, just like Jesus did, he'd do miracles and crowds would show up. And quite often the crowd was already there and the crowd grew even bigger. But Jesus didn't go into towns just to heal the lame and make the blind see. He also, more importantly, he says himself, I have come to preach. I have come to teach the way of God. And he would tell them parables about, about the kingdom of God and what it's like and what it isn't. And and the the Sermon on the Mount is so beautiful about all of the ways of God and and the the Beatitudes and where true blessing comes from. That's what Jesus focused on. Now the miracle would sometimes draw the crowd. The miracle would would, uh, all of a sudden, wow, what happened? Who did that? Tell us about yourself. So Peter is doing that here in this area of the temple courts called Solomon's Colonnade. So But when he does this, it's kind of like his sermon in the second chapter of Acts at Pentecost when he didn't hold anything back. Now remember, his audience is his own people, his own nation, his own Jewish brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem, the center of Judaism. And what's he do? He lays the responsibility for the death of Jesus at their feet. In our hearts, we have all disowned Christ by choosing death over life. Just look at the way that that he talks to them. Um, He says that, you know, you have disowned him to be killed. You you disowned him uh, before Pilate. Uh, You you disowned the, the holy and righteous one. You asked that a murder be released to you. You disowned the author of life, it says in verse 15. You killed the author of life. So that's a pretty stark accusation. He's laying that responsibility at their feet. And if I read that, I could easily think, well, I'm glad I wasn't there in Jerusalem that day. I don't want that kind of heavy thing coming at me. Well, I'm off the hook. I don't know. Because all of us, whenever we walk in the path of death, we're basically putting nails in Jesus' hands and feet. Now the path of death is the path of sin. when you, when you read the Apostle Paul, sin and death are, are, are come together like there's there's a connection there, sin and death, sin and death. So when we are walking in sin apart from the grace of God, then we are just enhancing death. We're walking toward death. We're we're making death bigger. And when we walk into things like anger, and if I get angry at the angry driver, and I, you know, say something to him, or give him a gesture, or whatever it might be, and if it gets worse and worse and worse, what happens? A whole lot of ugly things can happen. A very ugly thing happened. I don't know all the details of it, but a very ugly and awful thing happened in Salt Creek this week. And there was a lot of anger involved for whatever reason, That is the path of death. That is the path of sin. That's where it it, it leads us. And so if we think that, you know, I can do what I want. Who cares about God? Well, guess what? You're putting nails in his hands and feet. You are putting to death the author of life. And we all share in that responsibility. But there's good news at the other side. There's resurrection. Down at... uh, at 15 again, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus. This man you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given complete healing to him as you all can see. Now notice in 17, he also says that, now brothers, you know that you acted in ignorance. So he's, he lays that responsibility at their feet, but he also says, in a sense, you didn't know what you were doing. It's still wrong that you were responsible for his death, and yet he still loves you. And that's the gospel. It's easy to, for anyone, you know, from a pulpit somewhere who has an audience to say, now, you all got to behave yourself this week, and everybody can go, Yup, and you're all going to be no more sinners out there. Okay, I got it, Pastor Paul, yeah. And, and just lay it out there for you, and right in this moment, you're thinking, Yes, I'm going to get stronger, I'm going to do it, I'm going to get better. But you know what? The gospel message is okay, you do fall, you do fail, and you know what? He loves you there. He doesn't reject you there. Because people, when not touched by grace, will reject other people that fail them, that sin against them, until grace comes in and forgiveness comes in. That's God. God sees you. He knows what you've done. He knows what you haven't done. And He still loves you. And He simply wants you to come to Him and take the next part of this path The next part of this journey, and that is repentance and refreshment. Verse 17, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing from the Lord may come, that he may send the Christ who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. I love that phrase, refreshment. Times of refreshment may come. If it's a really, really hot day and you have a swimming pool uh, in your community, your backyard, wherever it might be, or maybe you're at a resort or something, and it's a hot day, the first place you're probably going to go is toward that cold water. You know, I, I think about as a kid going to summer camp. I, I didn't have a swimming pool at my house I had access to. We had a creek, though. That was, that was even better, you know. But, uh, but we, uh, at, at camp, I thought, wow, I can go in a swimming pool. This is great. Well, if free time comes and the pool is open, but, you know, if I, if I walked up the hill at, at Twin Pines, you ever been there, up toward the, the cabin called Lookout, I'm going the wrong way. The pool's that way. So, I have to stop and turn around to go and be refreshed. Repent and turn. That's all repentance means. It's not some big churchy religious word. It simply means turn around. I'm going the wrong way. I got to turn around. How many of us have got behind a, a tourist in the Poconos? God bless them. <laughs> Wait, I'm lost. Slam on the brakes. Look to their get their phone out, looking for the map or whatever. You know, oh, okay, okay, help me be patient, God. You know, <laughs> and then they turn around. Why they turn around? Because they're going the wrong way. They're repenting <laughs> because the place they wanted to get to is that way. If you want refreshment from the Lord, go to the pool. Jesus doesn't just provide living water. John four. Jesus is living water in him will we we be refreshed and and that's what's great yeah he knows all the sin Yeah, he knows all the stuff and he doesn't condemn you for it he doesn't call you a naughty boy a naughty girl he simply says i love you let's let's get to work that's refreshing isn't it to know you're forgiven, that your, your, your sins are wiped out. And when it, says, when it says that, it doesn't mean you'll never sin again. It just means the, the consequence of the sin eternally is now taken away. Don't worry about that. Yeah, get it right, keep working, get better as you can, but you're loved all along the journey. Even when you make a little bit of a twist and a turn somewhere you shouldn't have gone, you're still loved all along the journey. To be refreshed, you have to walk toward the living water. And then down at verse 18, your journey with Christ begins with restoration. Verse 18, this is how God fulfilled what he had promised through the prophets saying that Christ would suffer repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out at times of refreshing may come and that and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed to you even Jesus he must remain in heaven until the time comes to restore everything as he promised long ago through his prophets for Moses said the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from, whom, from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many of us have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your hearts. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So there's that turning word in that last verse, 26, turning, repenting. But also notice there he says, sent first. So what he's referring to there is back in the first chapter of Acts, before Jesus went back into heaven, ascended into heaven, he gave last-minute instructions to all the apostles. He said, you are to be my witnesses. After the Holy Spirit comes on you, you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. There was an order to follow. There was a process to follow. If something really awesome and amazing did happen in your life. Maybe it's even newsworthy. Like, wow, the, I'm going to call the news station. They're going to run, run a story on this. This is going to be a real feel-good thing. Everybody's going to like it. And let's suppose you, you called up the local TV station and a reporter came out and they, they filmed your story and they put in the lead story on the 6 o'clock news and, and there you are on TV and then your brother or your sister calls what, you didn't tell me about this? You told the media first? What's wrong with you? I wanted to, why didn't you tell me first? That's the essence of what the gospel message was. Jesus was sent among God's own people as a Jewish man first to his own people. And so the good news about his resurrection, the good news about about life through him needs to go first to his own people. Now, most of them were going to reject that message. Many accepted it. All the first Christians were indeed Jews. But you start here and then go into the rest of the world. But going to the rest of the world and just ignoring Jerusalem? No, they couldn't do that. That wasn't part of God's plan. So God planned to restore his people, all who would believe, but then also to open that message up to everyone. That's why he quotes Abraham here. From the beginning, Abraham, the first one called by God, was the one that all people, all peoples, including us now, no matter what nationality you trace your, your heritage back to, all peoples will be blessed because of Abraham, because of Isaac, and of Jacob, and of David, and the prophets, and eventually Jesus the Christ, and the apostles. All of us are blessed because of them, but it began there to restore all people to God together, because this is a message that has been proclaimed in the whole world and even early in the church when when Paul wrote these verses here, and we'll wrap it up with this today. Colossians 1, starting at 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Isn't that great news? That, that we, can, we can often do feel very distant from God, feel like God's absent, feel like, where are you, Lord? And we feel alienated, we can, we can relate to that. But it's so great to know that that we can be set free of accusation. And before I go to prayer, I'll I'll just just share this quickly. Um, I I shared this at the other church today, and it was definitely, this was the Holy Spirit moment in me that, you know, I've been praying about something, and, well, I should have been praying about it more. And and I just got this this voice of, of shame and accusation going on in me. Now, in some sense, it's always there. I used to talk about it like just this, this really little dog that yips really loud and is annoying, but it really can't hurt you. It was just annoying, okay? Well, that dog got bigger. And that dog's trying to take over. And that accusation and that shame that I feel and that, that I allow, I, I really needed to, to repent of, to breathe out, let go, and trust that God loves you right here, right now, free from accusation. Isn't that the best news in the world? Whether it's an accusation that comes from someone else, and it hurts the most when it's someone you love, isn't it? Or an accusation that comes right from here, somewhere deep inside. It says, oh, you're not good enough, Paul. Oh, you're no good. You're This is, you know... You have nothing to say to people. You have no life to live for people. What are you doing? You know, and and just on and on and on. And when I give that voice a microphone, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> and, and and it's just not good for me. It's not good for others. And so, so I repented of that this morning. I recognized that, and I, I share that with you too, because maybe that'll touch some of you. I don't know, because we're free of accusation, and so. This story from Acts 2 is, is, so, is so wonderful because it was Peter giving the message to his own people from his heart. Didn't pull any punches about them being responsible for the death of Jesus and yet said this same Jesus loves you and this same Jesus loves all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have set us free if we just turn. If we just Repent, and that's what it is to turn to you and say, I need you. Just the way you are, right here, like the person waiting for the ambulance. Well, he's arrived and he's here. And he can take you and help you and, and help heal you and heal your heart and get rid of that accus, accusing voice or that voice of doubt, that voice of fear, that, that, that voice of anxiety, that, that, that voice of, of being not good enough. Whatever voices we give a microphone to in our hearts and lives, Lord God, we, we repent of and we ask you to, to help us simply hear your voice through all the clutter, through all the noise. Let that be true in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.